This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is February 15th. We're recording on Tuesday. Markets popped today. Dow was up 400 points, ending its three-day losing streak. NASDAQ was up 2.5%. We saw the 10-year hit 2.04%. So that largely due to the fact that geopolitical pensions have cooled. Producer prices were also exacerbated. What we're really looking at is, I mean, the Ukraine buildup with was a hundred thousand Russian forces, um, you know, on the border. Obviously, since two thousand fourteen, the Russians have been heavily engaged in the country in both Crimea and Crimea and Donbas. Largely, the fear was that this would lead to a broader conflict uh, throughout Ukraine as a whole, with Russian troops possibly going into Kiev. Biden, President Biden uh, stated today that it's still a distinct possibility that Russia may invade, but they have taken some of their troops off the line as they have said that their military simulations are over. So they're going to barracks and quarters throughout the country. Talk about timing, Drew. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, 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 And from a Russian perspective, in so many ways, COVID's been obviously it's exacerbated oil prices, which has been great for them. Uh, They've actually run a budget surplus over the last couple of years. Uh, And they found leverage in ways that much of the world hasn't, uh, as as everyone's, you know, really chronically unable to deal with a lot of these things uh, due to economic factors and, you know, just the the health pandemics. Uh, the, The Russians have used it as an opportunity to kind of flex some muscle. But that fear has kind of been uh, alleviated, and as such, the markets have responded very favorably. Yeah, as you mentioned, Drew, we saw the Russian defense minister said that the Russian military districts in their southern and and western borders with Ukraine, they now completed their drills, so they are already loading on their rail and road transports. Looks like there will be uh, de-escalating there. Um, But I I think a bigger point that you mentioned is really the oil. So we saw crude prices drop 3.6%. And really, when we think about oil prices, the, the stocks that are big consumers of oil, so your airlines and your cruise ships, those stocks, um, to, with with oil going down, gain some momentum. Whereas if we think about the the large oils oil companies, your Exxon Mobils, um, your BMPs, your BPs, those are going to be your biggest losers, uh, and and that's exactly what we saw. Um, in, in terms of some of the new earnings we've had, Disney stock has certainly soared last week. We saw their three parks and product sales doubled. From to 7.23 billion in revenue from 3.5 billion a year ago, and when we're looking at other metrics as well, per capita spending at domestic parks was up more than 40 percent versus the final fiscal quarter of 2019, and that's usually that's right now that's mostly attributed to more favorable guest experiences, food, beverages, um, you know, activities, and that kind of thing that Disney parks has definitely been incorporating over the last couple of years. 
So, so yeah, I mean, they've seen definitely an uptick in sales since their earnings reports come out. And a big driver of that was their Disney Plus subscriptions. So they added over 11.8 million from the previous quarter, which is very significant growth. As you mentioned, over the holiday season, they really blew out their expectations for folks in the park. So it seems like the theme park rebounded. That really led to to all-time highs for them, which was pretty significant. Um, Really, Disney's new subscription-based and and streaming-based revenue is is something to really take a look at because if you compare them to what Netflix said in their earnings, they cautioned growth and that would would suffer in 2022 based on things opening back up, um, which sent shares of Netflix down about 20%, uh, whereas we saw Disney also uh, increasing that number, saying they still anticipate that subscribers will continue to grow. And then further, they've also been nominated for nine Academy Awards, um, which is which is big for them. Um, so they third behind Netflix and Warner Brothers. So if they can continue to create good content and build their uh, subscriber base, continue to look for, for those numbers to improve. Yeah, analysts are expecting on average 124.7 million Disney Plus subscribers um, and 191 million total streaming customers. Um, we're looking at fact sheet. And, and so, yeah, so business has done well in Disney. Uh, Uber actually has reported some good gross bookings. They've added 20 million new riders in Q4 in their mobility business. We saw adjusted EBITDA was 86 million, which beat analyst expectations of 67 million. And the company reported fourth quarter profit of 892 million or 44 cents a share compared to a loss of 968 million or 54 cents a share uh, in, in the, within the two year period. And that's really important if you think about Uber a couple of years ago, not turning a profit, um, especially their core business of, of rides in major metropolitan cities took a big hit during the pandemic. Seems like they were able to combat that with their Uber Eats, which is now, I guess, the what they claim is the fastest growing uh, delivery player in America. And they are in the number two delivery platform behind DoorDash. Uh, really, I think if you think about Disney and Uber, the biggest factor for, for them is really the opening back up so they can get back to their core business. So if you think about Disney, that's people in the parks buying beers, buying pretzels, um, visiting the gift shop, being in the parks. And Uber, it's, it's, it's people uh, not just ordering food from home, but also taking cabs, coming back from bars, going out to shows. And so one thing we should note is it seems like the Omicron is beginning to fade uh, so there there was a scare that since it was much more contagious um, compared to the Delta variant, that there may be a huge surge. Really, what we saw is it was more contagious, but that people actually were not getting as as sick. So hospitalizations and, and deaths did not rise at the same rate that um, the, the transmission of the Omicron did, which is good uh, because it seems like we're moving more towards uh, an environment where. Uh, it, it will be ter- uh, COVID will turn more into the flu where it's seasonal. Some may be better than worse than other seasons, but it seems like it will be a new norm that we'll have to live with and immunities are beginning to build up. At least right now, it feels a lot like it did this summer. Deaths have plateaued about 80% and then hospitalizations, everything across the board has plateaued dramatically. 
from the January highs. So here's hoping that uh, it continues at this rate and, and we don't see, you know, a new variation and subsequent spikes and lockdowns and everything else. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's the situation's definitely been alleviated. Uh, I mean, Dr. Anthony Fauci said the U S is heading out of a full blown pandemic phase. Um, probably, I mean, like we've said before, we will likely eradicate it, but you know, hopefully we'll bring the virus under control that it, it looks like many other viruses that exist. We'll just take a look at the flu. Some seasons are worse than others. So in 2017, for example, uh, we had 52,000 people die and over 710,000 uh, were hospitalized. So we compare that to COVID, the, the numbers are drastically higher for COVID. So being able to, to put those numbers in line with the flu, I think, is the next goal. Mm-hmm. In terms of inflation uh, that has surged now to uh, 7.5% on an annual basis, uh, you know, not much more more to say about that from the Labor Department. So the reporting was on Thursday. It's widely what, what we've discussed. I mean, Dow Jones estimated 7.2%, uh, which likewise was the highest reading since February 1982. So it was up a clip above some other analyst expectations. Yeah, and stripping out gas and groceries, the CPI was about 6%. Analysts were estimating at 59 So really, it still is the fastest that we've seen core inflation since August of 1982. But we're all anticipating it. Big moves will, to, will be to see what the Fed does. We saw some comments coming out of them um, this week. But if oil begins to drop, that may be a, a good sign if we think about rising energy prices over the last couple of months. One of the big catalysts is that when money appears that it's no longer free, we've seen quite a bit of drop in demand for mortgages. That's dropped 10% as higher interest rates are pushing a lot of people out. Um, Yeah, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, uh, they they dropped 10% last week. seasonally adjusted and they were they were 12% lower year over year. And I wonder how much of this is Drew is just people who've already refinanced have already refinanced and that the market for a refinance is, is not really there anymore. Um, one aspect of, of mortgages. But then the second is, is I do think that the rates are still a little bit higher than they were a couple months ago. But from a historical standpoint, they're still quite low. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're like what they were at 2019 functionally. So yeah, so so I wonder more if it's the lack of supply um, that's the biggest mortgage demand, the lack of supply of new homes or homes going on the market because we've seen the the drastic rise in in, in real estate markets across the country that has risen. I mean, I think it was 25 percent last year as uh, across the board. So I think it's more maybe people just are priced out. Yeah, and, and things like we've discussed, you know, steel, lumber, huge spikes in those and com- supply constraints have uh, diminished the lack of supply. It's just a lot more expensive to break ground than, than it was. And if we think about consumer debt, I mean, in 2021, it totaled $15.6 trillion, uh, which is record levels of debt. I think of the biggest driver of this is just how cheap it is to borrow funds at the moment. Mm-hmm. But the one big that was eye-opening to me is that credit card balances increased by $52 billion in the final three months of the year, which was a quarterly record. And that's a little eye-opening to me considering 
how cheap debt is and that the fact that we believe that um, <clears throat> savings have grown over the pandemic with people not traveling as much, spending as much money. Um, so seeing the credit card debt, I wonder if these are the folks that we talked about in the last podcast that are in the long-term unemployment. Um, and now instead of cutting into their savings, added to their credit card bill. Yeah, I mean, cash infusions were huge. And, and we saw people use a lot of their uh, COVID bucks to buy down debt over a year ago. Uh, so balance sheets were actually seemed to be in pretty good shape last year. But I mean, when we're looking at this quarterly rise uh, coming up from, you know, 15.6 trillion, um, which is a $333 billion jump. We're talking about quarters. Uh, yeah, that quarterly rise is the biggest since 2007. And that annual gain was the largest uh, going back to 2003. So, so yeah, uh, it's certainly, certainly been kind of shocking and eye-opening, as you, as you mentioned, especially when I think the general consensus was uh, that people were starting to buy down their debt. And we saw it at a global level too, right? So we saw the the global debt has gone um, from 83 trillion in 2000 to around 295 trillion in 2021. Um, and the Really eye-opening thing here is that rate nearly doubled the pace of world GDP growth. So debt rose from 230% of GDP in 2000 to 320% right before the pandemic. And now even at the end of last year, we're at 355%. And again, I, I do think that this is, um, people are worried about this number, but it, it does make sense when you think about where the 10-year treasury was in 2000. So the yield on the 10-year treasury was 6.5. Um, whereas today, we just mentioned it, I think it's at a little over 2%. Um, and then the overnight Fed fund rate was 6.5. And now today, it's what, practically zero to 25 yeah, yeah, basis yeah. points, somewhere in there. Okay. But if we think about glo globally, we see the euro area and Japan are sub-zero. Uh, so, I mean, even negative. We're seeing um, so how cheap it is to borrow. It, it really makes sense that people are going to become more leveraged because for them to pay off that debt was actually less than what it would be in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. As you, yeah, you're talking. That's right. You're talking about the effective policy rate, which is six, five to around point oh eight. And then uh, in terms of 10 year Treasury yield, that's like is two point oh four. So that's just well below. Um, what it was in 2000, which was also around 6.5. As much as we're paying on interest, last year we're paying 12% of GDP on interest in the United States. That is still well below what it was in the 80s. At that point, we were paying 27% on interest in 1989. And you've really seen this around the world. Borrowing has been cheap everywhere. And the global interest rate has exploded everywhere um the world's played they paid the world paid 10 trillion dollars in interest last year because countries were all acting accordingly uh in a long era of free money and if it's that cheap to borrow and then why wouldn't you become more levered i mean i think that's the the, the debt has grown but the payment on those the interest cost of the share of gdp has decreased as you just mentioned You've seen some defaults. Lebanon defaulted on its debt at the start of the pandemic or part of its debt. Um, you know, Nigeria's government revenues just cover its interest costs. That's about it. Uh, 
but but yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's countries all over the world. Mortgage debt in Sweden is sizable. House prices rose by eleven percent in twenty twenty one. So so governments a big borrower, individuals are a big borrower, and companies have been a big borrower in these last 10, 15 years. With that, what should we be looking at, Grant? What did we overlook this week? Uh, one big thing, I think, is the Canadian border with the United States. Um, so there was a lot of trucker protests over vaccine status and policies. Um, looks like the Canadian prime minister declared a national emergency to end that. Um, that was a big the route that they were protesting on as a key trade route to the United States, especially for the um, automobile industry. So a lot of key components come to that. Um, so we did see North American automakers restart production this week as now those protesters are cleared. That may have an impact on what we've already looked at as, as one big inflationary measure is, is new car sales and used car sales as those go hand in hand. Um, so one thing to look at is if we continued is if that had an impact on car sales. China and Mexico are primary trading partners. The protests the truckers have been doing um, is by and large due to vaccine mandates. Now, the overwhelming majority of truckers are vaccinated. Uh, however, on principle, um, even vaccinated truckers, a lot of them are upset with the regulations. And then there's a lot of non-truckers as well, uh, blocking up the streets in, um, in Ottawa and, and, and in other metros all across uh, Canada and, and alongside um, border crossings as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, it's been going on for quite some time. It's definitely the U.S. and Canada, I believe, have the largest shared contiguous border um, in the world. Uh, I mean, Russia has the largest border, but they share that with God knows how many countries uh, the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> but, you know, Canada and U.S. is massive trade partners. And, yeah, as, as you mentioned, it could be highly inflationary if demands are met and if, if the government and the protesters can't find some kind of way to uh, – you know, to bridge the gap between between uh, between themselves. So that's what we have this week. Thank you for all the likes and subscribes. We'll be back next week and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.